Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you're able to take a deep breath and feel the beauty in that breath, how it nourishes and sustains the body. And to celebrate this body that you're in because it enables you to have experiences that help you evolve into your best and highest self. Baby steps, but that eventually is where you will get to. (laughs) All right. So without too much chit-chat, I want to dive into Hafez's The Gift so that we can open this episode with a poem from him and kick things off. So today's poem is called Like Passionate Lips. There are so many positions of love, each curve on a branch the thousand different ways your eyes can embrace us, the infinite shapes your mind can draw, the spring orchestra of scents, the currents of light combusting like passionate lips, the revolution of existence's skirt whose folds contain other worlds, your every sigh that falls against his inconceivable omnipresent body. Whew, well, Hafez is getting down with the divine ecstatic love again. (laughs) I'm just going to read that real quick, just to kind of let that sink in a second time. Like passionate lips. There are so many positions of love, each curve on a branch, the thousand different ways your eyes can embrace us, the infinite shapes your mind can draw, the spring orchestra of scents the currents of light combusting like passionate lips, the revolution of existence's skirt whose folds contain other worlds, your every sigh that falls against his inconceivable omnipresent body. Hmm. Love that. (sighs) I don't have anything to say about that except that I love it. (laughs) Um, It's just, you know, again, thinking about our relationship with the divine and the ecstatic love that we can have for the divine, for the universe, for ourselves, because we have the divine within us. Um, yeah. I want to say that that's, that's all I got for you today. <laughs> Hopefully you can enjoy Daniel Ladinsky's interpretation of Hafez's poems. Um, You know, one of these days, I want to see if I can find another translation of Hafez's work and see what nuances might come forward in a different person's translation. Because we know with translation, it's always another creation, another iteration of that thing. So the essence of it is there, but the message, the way in which it's delivered is slightly different. So it's going to land a little different. So I'm just curious about that. I'm going to I'm going to see if I can dig in for some other translations and see what comes forward. Anyway, I wanted to uh take this episode to talk a little bit about trauma um and what it is. 
because lately I've been seeing on social media that there are a lot of folks out there who are offering um, relief from trauma, healing from trauma, um, all kinds of things. I mean, myself included, of course, I'm not, I'm not exempt from that. I'm, what I'm noticing is that, oh, I'm not alone. Like, I'm not the only one who wants to do healing work. I'm not the only one who's offering folks a way to resolve the trauma that's both in mind, body, and spirit. So all three. I said both and in kids too, but all three. Okay. Um, so I've been seeing a lot of, a lot of folks on, on social media that are offering that. And from where I'm standing, like, oh, it makes sense. Like, I know what that is because I do it. Right. But if I talk to myself, let's say it was myself from five years ago and I see this messaging, um, Am I going to know exactly what that means? Probably not. You know, it's like, oh, healing from trauma. Okay, great. Like, what, what, what does that mean? You know, I'm not falling off a bike, scraping my knees and looking for some Band-Aids and Neosporin to, to cover it up and help heal it, right? This is something that's intangible, but because it's intangible, we don't necessarily know if we have it in our bodies, in our minds, in our spirits, Um, we can't, we can't access it with our physical five senses. So how do we know that we have it? Right. That's a question. That's a question. And I wanted to explore this a little bit. So trauma, uh, according to the physiological understanding of trauma is when your nervous system goes into a sympathetic response. So something life-threatening is happening around you, to you. Your nervous system will kick into gear, kick into protective mode, and do what it needs to in order to keep you safe. Now, when it comes to trauma, let's just say a car accident, the nervous system goes into its mode of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And when we can't do any of those things, when that's not an option, our neural pathways get interrupted. And so what happens is that trauma happens. And at the neurological level, the neural pathway from point A to point B is no longer, I'm I'm using this as an example, is no longer a straight line. What happens is that the trauma interrupts that path between A and B, and a new pathway is formed. And what happens, and this is, this is why it's so important to heal trauma, is that becomes the new neural pathway. So let's say you're, you, know, you get into a car accident, and you have a, a collision with another car, and that's very shocking to the system. It becomes a trauma in your body and your neural pathway now remembers every time you are in a car, there's that possibility that you can crash into a car again. With the neural pathway, it's not, it could happen, it will happen. So your neural pathway is already like grooved in, like as soon as I get into a car, I'm going to get into a car accident. I'm going to crash another car every time. That's what's going to happen. Now, logically, we know that's not going to happen, but your body records these things. And so what happens is that 
our minds and our bodies are not in sync. They're not in alignment. And so trauma tends to get stuck in this loop in our bodies. You know, we're like, wait, this is not actually happening, but my body's responding like it is. So what do I do with that? Do I just let it roll through my body? Do I push through? Do I like, what, what do I do? And so this is, um, this is what I, what I want to spend a little time talking about. So trauma isn't, it's not as clear cut and um, obvious as a car accident. You know, they, they have called um, trauma, like trauma with a capital T or big T and then trauma with a little T or lowercase T, right? There, there's a, two distinctions of levels of trauma. Now, the big T would be the obvious ones, you know, car accident, um, sexual violence, uh, physical abuse, and more of the big T traumas are physical experiences, okay? So for the little T, it's more insidious because it is not tangible. It's not obvious. You know, it could be gaslighting. It could be uh, racism or sexism, misogyny, any of the isms, actually. Uh, it could be hmm, the messages that you're told as a kid that you're not good enough or that you don't deserve this or you're not worthy of that. Those are Those are also traumas. And I have, you know, mixed feelings about distinguishing between big T trauma and little t trauma. But I guess we need to talk about these things in that way so that we can better address how to heal them, how to resolve them, how to come to grips with them. So we're just going to go with that because I don't, I, I feel like the little t in trauma makes it feel like it's less impactful, that it has less significance when actually it probably has more impact. You know, if you think about systemic racism and how a person like myself grows up with these messages of, well, you're different, you don't belong, you are not worthy, you know, go back to your country, you know, all those messages psychologically that feels more damaging and longer lasting in its damage than a car accident. So, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my issue with the big T and the little T. But again, I mean, we need to find ways to have conversations about this. So this is going to be just the, the place marker for, for talking about this until we can come up with new language and new words and ways of, of discussing it. So with um, trauma, what I like to recognize is that it shows up in different ways. It's not just I get in a car and I freak out before I even pull out of the driveway because I know that I'm going to get hit by another car, right? It, that's not the only way trauma shows up. Actually, trauma shows up in more undercover ways than um, we expect, so, for example, I've been talking a lot about imposter syndrome the past few weeks. And imposter syndrome is a symptom of trauma. It is a way in which 
the body, the mind, the spirit, the personality tries to cope with a wound that was inflicted upon them psychologically, right? So if you think about as a child, let's say you're given the message of you're not worthy. You're not worthy of love. You're not worthy of attention. You're not worthy of conversation. You're just not worthy. And so we integrate that into who we're being and how we're being. And when we are given a, an opportunity because we've done a great thing, we've shown that we have knowledge to share and we've been given an opportunity and this opportunity, um, let's say it pays really well. You may not accept that opportunity or you accept it and then you just freak out about it. Because this message going, this, this, this story on replay going on in the back of your head that you may not be even aware of because it's, it's so deep in the subconscious that you're not worthy, you may start to self-sabotage. You may lose your notes. You may show up late for the thing, whatever it is. Let's say it's a speaking engagement. Um, you may say, no, 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 you don't have to pay me. I'll do it for free because I'm not worthy of payment. And so what happens is that we get stuck in these cycles of unworthiness, but then let's say you, you make it to the, to the event. Let's say you're, you're a speaker at a Ted talk, right? And they're like, Oh my God, I got selected as, as, you know, somebody to speak on Uh, TED Talk, what? That's so crazy. Then imposter syndrome pops up. And this is why I've been talking about imposter syndrome, because it's something that everybody has experienced at one point or another, whether you know it or not. Um, And so what happens is that in this particular scenario, you think they're going to find out. They're going to find out that they made a mistake, that I am not the person they think that I am, because you start having self-doubts about who you actually are. And that is because you've been receiving messaging as a kid that you're not worthy, that you're dumb, that you don't know anything, that you don't deserve any good thing that comes to you, you know, all kinds of stories and narratives. And so imposter syndrome shows up as a symptom of trauma, you know, and it's not just in the fraudulent kind of way where it's like, oh my God, they're going to find out that I don't know anything, but also it can come up as a workaholic. Um, if you are a workaholic, you could be trying to hide the fact that you don't know what you, what people think, you know. So for example, you're working a job, corporate job in an office and the boss is like, I need this report by tomorrow morning. But because you are a workaholic and you are freaking out about this job that you have because you feel that you don't deserve it. You feel like, you know, there's no way that, that I deserve this job or worth this job or, or I'm good enough or smart enough, whatever it is. So then you overcompensate by working all the time. You work on that report and then some. You get the report into your boss before first thing in the morning. You work all night. You pull an all-nighter. You work, 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 work. And then the boss sees and says, oh, my God, great job. Awesome job. 
And so you feel like, whew, dodge that bullet, right? But if you continue to work like that, to be the workaholic, what it does is it provides this distraction from actually being present with who you are, from really owning your perceived shortcomings, you know, owning the stories of, of your, you're not worthy or you don't know enough. But then there's also, you know, the symptom of people pleasing, you know, we're going to direct the attention away from us so that no one will find out that we are not this thing, you know? So the imposter is a costume we'll say that you put on and you act a certain way because you want to distract people from seeing you for who you really are because you have doubts about that because you don't even remember who you are or you have buried that true self so far down that you only know the imposter. So the people pleaser does the things for everybody. You take care of everybody. You put everyone else's needs before your own. And everyone thinks, wow, that person is so great. Actually, what's happening is you're just distracting them from paying attention to you. And you're also sacrificing your own well-being because when we give to others without replenishing our own well, that just is is a recipe for burnout. And when you burn out, then maybe you don't have to deal with imposter syndrome because now you're just, you know, this really tired, overexhausted person and no one now will find out who you really are. And other symptoms of trauma include, you know, living small. Obvious ones are stress and anxiety. Um, Being extra sensitive. So when someone experiences trauma, their nerves are shot. You know, they, they're extra sensitive to other people's energies, to other people's moods. You know, they might be a little jumpy depending on what it is, but the nerves, the nervous system is very raw and exposed. So it's like, oh my God, who's there? Okay. What's that? What's going on? You know, like this thing. And, you know, I, I'm, I was trained in trauma-informed yoga. And one of the things that was pointed out during our training is that when folks who suffer from PTSD or any kind of trauma, but specifically PTSD, sometimes even those um, survivors of sexual violence, when they enter a room, they look where all the exits are. And they situate themselves in the room where they can get a quick exit, where they can escape quickly. Now, people may not necessarily be aware of this, but that's that's the default. And so can we heal that sensitivity so that it becomes, instead of a defense mechanism, it becomes a superpower. It becomes like, oh, I'm sensing that this person is lonely. Let me go sit next to them instead of trying to figure out my exit out of the room. So trauma shows up in all kinds of ways. And when people talk about healing trauma, what are they really talking about? 
I don't know. I mean, I know for me what, what that means, but for other people, I'm not sure, you know? So for my, I can only speak about my part. So my part is when I talk about that, when I talk about healing trauma, I am looking at the symptoms and then digging deeper into the source of those symptoms and looking at where the root, where the origin is for these behaviors and patterns. So for example, imposter syndrome, let's look at where it comes from. What is the root of that thinking? Because it is just a belief. You know, it is the belief that we are not worthy. We're not good enough. Can we shift those beliefs into what feels more true? Into statements like I am worthy and I am you know, pretty awesome that whatever I offer is always going to be awesome instead of, do I know enough? Am I expert enough? Let me gather all the certifications so that I can prove to other people that I know enough. And sometimes, sometimes that's funny. Sometimes it doesn't work. You know, sometimes we gather all the certifications and we still are like, Ooh, I don't know. Can I do this thing that I've been certified? At? Maybe they made a mistake with certifying me. You know, I went through the program, I went through the training, I went through the class, whatever it is, and they gave me this piece of paper to say, hey, I did the stuff, but I don't know if that actually makes me worthy enough or knowledgeable enough to offer this thing, you know, whether it's healing or, or any kind of service or knowledge. Um, it's, it, it's hard. It's hard because we are looking externally for validation. We're looking externally for counting, for mattering, when really it needs to be in here. And how do we heal the inside when we can't see it? How do we begin to repair the, the damage that we are not even aware of? And it starts with awareness but it starts with looking at the source, at the origin, you know, and some, some people may not know what that origin is. You know, it's not like you necessarily have to pinpoint, well, when I was four years old, X, Y, Z happened. Now that's, I mean, that would be helpful for sure, but to look at just the overall environment in which you grew up, you know, and what do you remember your caretakers, whether they're your parents, grandparents, you know, guardians of any kind, what do you remember them saying a lot? And do you believe those now? You know, it's really taking a pause, a step back and investigating our origin stories, you know, um, I'm really enjoying some of these Marvel movies uh, that aren't necessarily origin stories. But it's interesting to look at each of the characters from the Avengers and to see where they came from and how they got to where they are. So maybe imagine yourself as an Avenger. You know, you got your superpowers. How did you get to where you are now? How did you get to the beliefs that you're holding now? Like if your belief is like, I'm not worthy, where did it come from? Who told you that? Can you remember the first person to, to not even say it, just imply it, you know, because we receive messages energetically as well. So that's my invitation to you is to take a look at what might be considered trauma for you. 
what, whether you know it or not, right? Whether you label it as trauma or not. I have a uh, post on my Maverick Monday where I, it's called the labels we give our trauma. And we may not know that we have trauma because subconsciously we're unwilling to name it that. You know, sometimes we think, oh, someone else has it worse off than me. This is not really trauma. You know, it's just, I just had a bad day or I just had a bad childhood or, you know, I just had a bad racist experience. Who doesn't anymore these days? You know, it's like this dismissal of our lived experience doesn't help with the healing process. It actually just helps entrench the traumas even deeper because you're giving validity to the trauma. You're saying, okay, trauma, yeah, I see you. And you know what? You're right. You're right. That's totally correct. So for those of us who are aware of our traumas, but we don't want to call it that, ask yourself why. Comparisonitis is just an illusion because we are all here for our own soul purpose, our own individual path. And for us to compare our hurts, our wounds to somebody else isn't, well, one, it's not fair because different people, different circumstances, different personalities, there's so many different factors, right? But also it's not useful, you know? So, I mean, for me to say something like, well, my childhood was okay. I mean, it wasn't great, but it wasn't as bad as, you know, these children who are growing up in what, for lack of a better word, concentration camps at the border, at the Mexican border. Um, you know, they, I mean, I don't even want to imagine the trauma that those, that those children are going through right now, but it's not useful for me to compare my childhood with theirs. It's not helping anybody. It makes me feel bad. It doesn't help them. And so what's the point? Why not take our traumas, own them, and just say, this is part of my journey. This is part of the path that's specific for me. And I'll honor that for what it is and then work on healing it. So, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much what I want to talk about, the symptoms of trauma, because some of us see the word trauma but don't know exactly what that means, you know, unless you've had a big dramatic traumatic effect, um, event, experience, you know, capital T trauma, you may not even know that you're walking around with trauma in your body, especially, you know, for folks of color, racism, you know, this way of carrying ourselves where we're always on alert, being mindful of what we say, who we talk to, how we say things, how we dress. You know, I think about all the times that I code switch you know, depending on who I'm talking to determines how I speak, like what my language is. And I know for some folks, they're like, oh, I don't have that problem. You know, I'm just me with everybody. And that's great. But I code switch because of how I was raised, of how I was conditioned to interact with white folks versus folks of color. And even within communities of color, how I talk with Black folks versus Filipinos or even Latinos. It's, it's very interesting to see these patterns in myself, but to recognize that that 
is a pattern of coping with the trauma of you don't belong here, that you are other, you are something else, you don't belong here. And so for me, how do I fit in? That is my question. One way is to change my language, the words that I use, how I talk to people, how I have conversations with people. And so it's interesting doing this podcast because it's like, well, who am I talking to, right? Who is my audience? I, I've got a wide range of folks in terms of, you know, race and ethnic backgrounds um, that, that I'm like, well, what language am I using? You know, because sometimes I'm like, y'all going to do this, right? Sometimes I'm like, yogi girl, you know. So if you listen to these podcast episodes and sometimes you'll be like, who is that girl? Like she was just talking about y'alls and stuff. And then now she's speaking proper English. I don't know if I actually do, but, <laughs> but you know, that's just something to note, something to notice. And um, for those of you who don't know, I started a private pop-up podcast and I was pop-up because it's a five-part series and it's only going to be available for a limited time. And they're very short. You know, they're about anywhere between five to 10 minutes long. And it's just so fun. What I noticed in creating this pop-up podcast was my language shifted a little bit. And it was fun. Part of it had to do with the, the music because the music is like hip hoppy, which I'm really like grooving. And I might have to think about moving it over to the public podcast, this one. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but because of that, I've got a more laid back colloquial language for that podcast, you know. I mean, I use the word buster. I was like, where did that come from? Buster? Like, get out of here. Scram. You know, <laughs> those kinds of things. It was so weird. But I just, you know, whatever. That's That was the mood I was in. And I was, I think I had a specific audience in mind. I think I had women of color in mind when I recorded that five-part series. So it's just interesting to see how trauma shows up. You know, and I've done a lot of healing work and I'm not going to say that I'm done healing. I've, I'm still carrying trauma and I get re-traumatized um, on, on subtle levels. But I'm, I'm getting better at that with a resilient nervous system, with tools that I have. Um, so it's just, you know, I'm, I'm thriving and it's possible for you. And that's what my main message is, it's here's identify the symptoms of trauma. Here's identify what trauma might be for you, but also know from my example that it's possible to heal and thrive, to really step into your life and be like, you know what? I own this place. I am me. I am loud. I'm proud. I am radiant. I am my authentic self. And that is what I'd love to see for all of you. That's why I do this work. And so with that, my friends, I'm going to close this episode because I feel like I, that was a lot, even though the episode itself is not very long, let's see, about a half an hour. I feel like I covered a lot of deep stuff that needs to marinate and digest, and, you know, process and things like that. So we're going to close it out with a poem by Natalie Diaz. Now, this is um, her latest collection. It's called Post-Colonial Love Poem, and it just won the Pulitzer Prize, which is so freaking amazing. 
Um, so for those of you who don't know Natalie Diaz, she is um, a Native American indigenous woman and Latina. And it's just like amazing that she was awarded the Pulitzer Prize. I mean, I'm so excited. <laughs> anyway, so I'm going to read the title poem, Post-Colonial Love Poem. I've been taught bloodstones can cure a snake bite, can stop the bleeding. Most people forgot this when the war ended. The war ended, depending on which war you mean, those we started before those millennia ago and onward, those which started me, which I lost and won. These ever-blooming wounds, I was built by wage, so I waged love and worse. Always another campaign to march across, a desert night for the cannon flash of your pale skin, settling in a, liver, a silver lagoon of smoke at your breast. I dismount my dark horse, bend to you there, deliver you the hard pull of all my thirsts. I learned at drink in a country of drought, we pleasure to hurt, leave marks the size of stones, each a kobuchan polished by our mouths, I, your lapidary, your lapidary wheel turning green mottled red, the jaspers of our desires. There are wildflowers in my desert, which take up to 20 years to bloom. The seeds sleep like geodes beneath hot feldspar sand until a flash flood bolts the arroyo, lifting them in its copper current, opens them with memory. They remember what their God whispered into their ribs. Wake up and wake and ache for your life. For your hands have been our diamonds on my shoulders, down my back, thighs. I am your Bulebra. I am in the dirt for you. Your hips are quartz-light and dangerous. Two rosehorn rams ascending a soft desert wash before the November sky untethers a hundred-year flood. The desert returns suddenly to its ancient sea. Arise the wild heliotrope, scorpion weed, blue phacelia, which hold purple the way a throat can hold the shape of any great hand. Great hands is what she called mine. The rain will eventually come, or not. Until then, we touch our bodies like wounds. The war never ended, and somehow begins again. <sighs> Whew, man. What a poem. What a poem. Oh my God. So good. <sighs> All right, my friends. It's a lot to digest. If you got questions, shoot me an email, lesliean at syriagian.com. Or you could just find my website. Drop me a note on Instagram, Facebook, wherever. You know where you find me. And to close our episode like we always do, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Healing is so necessary for women writers of color. Whether we know it or not, our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves. How can we be more present to this? How can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance? 
Follow me on Instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle, at Surya Gyan Yogi, S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I. Or visit my website to learn more at suryagyan.com. Your best healed life starts now.